Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, hit it shot. Oh, baby, what a play. This is Jeff Fedoten with Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Network, Kansas City's number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in KC and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this week's show, Kansas City star sports columnist Vahe Gregorian joins the show. Vahe, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you guys. Uh, real treat as ever. Yeah, Vahe, it's great to be with you, another fellow Quaker. And, you know, for those who, are, who can see the video, but for, for our listeners who are listening in on the podcast, Jeff is sporting the uh, very retro Pennsylvania Quakers <laughs> hat. So was, wasn't sure if he was doing it for Vahe, me, or the fact that Justin Watson is leading the Kansas City Chiefs in receiving yards through three games. So no, go Quakers. That, great, great all-around statement. Um, by the way, you know, it's funny, Joe, to you, that's a, that's a really old school hat to me. Um, I got, when I, when I got to Penn on the freshman team, we still had the old, uh, I think they handed down the, the 1950s and 1960s varsity jerseys. And so we had the long, the long sleeve, the long sweater, long, long sleeves with the stripes on it. Um, oh my for, gosh. The yeah. freshman year. And it was when coach Jerry Burnt came in junior year that we got, uh, the uh, the modern look that Jeff is actually sporting. <laughs> <laughs> modern, modern. We're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to change this to believe in Quakers. I think we have to this week yeah. and this week only, especially since Justin's leading the team in receiving yards. I'm gonna it, keep it throwing is, that in every chance I get. We we should and and look, he's not yet a threat to break your Chiefs receiving pen Chiefs pen receiving touchdown record, but you know it could it could be close on you. And I tell you what, he's he's really looked good and and. Uh, you know, I've written about him a few times, of course, and each time I feel like I have to put a little uh, pen paragraph qualifier yeah. in there. Yeah. About, <laughs> I'm openly, openly hoping he does well. Um, but one of the reasons isn't just the pen connection. He's just such a, a yeah. prince of a guy. And, um, you know, you guys probably know the story by now. We've talked about it before, I think, about his brother, special needs brother that that uh, had such influence on, on Justin. But also he's just a gentleman and uh, – and really a, a, a nice guy and really gets it. And there was one play, I don't know if you guys got to watch the game the other day, but I think it was a 37-yard completion. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him briefly after the game about it. If you recall the play, as I think you do, that he was basically, I don't know if it was really formally a post, but he was angling in when the ball went up and you know pivoted to catch it over his, right shoulder on the sideline um there's so much that goes into that but one of the, the points justin made to me was that it, it's a further reflection of his chemistry with patrick i mean patrick mm -hmm. has made a, a a point of saying that from the get-go when justin was down at the camp uh camp mahomes down in texas the first year but that play really spoke to it in a different way it was a bit of a scramble play and they were 100 percent on the same page turned his shoulders like two times, two, two or three times on that play. I mean, he was, it was almost like he was spinning around, like trying to get a beat on the ball. And it was, it was an unbelievable catch and a great, like you said, great connection between him and Patrick. Yeah. And I think you're right. There, there might've been, I'm thinking about just when the ball was in the air, but I think there might've been another cut or two. So um, yeah, it was crazy, pretty, 
pretty cool. Pretty cool. Just like a couple, just like a couple of receivers like you and I would do, Vahe. Just, just, <laughs> just like we would do. Vahe is now the second best forward pen receiver in the Kansas City area. I think that's it. That's, 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 <laughs> I, I also wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm glad you guys jumped in with Justin Watson because one, his story is really incredible. We actually had him on uh, the pod, Vahe, because Joe knows his family pretty well. And it was funny back then, like, I was like, geez, I don't know if he's even going to make the team. You know, I went to the Chiefs. I, you know, the Chiefs can be, as I'm sure Vahe knows, a little bit prickly about, like, who they allow access to. And I just want to give them, a, like, hey, do I need to go through you for Justin? Because they're they're always, you have to go through hoops. And they're like, no, no, that's that, that's why they were. Yeah. And now he he does seem like they're most, he's their leading receiver. and seems kind of like they're most dependable. Maybe not their most talented, but most are. They're dependable. And uh, Vahe, I'm glad you mentioned that story. Um, you won first place in the 2022 Associated Press Sports Editors Contest for that great feature on um, Justin Watson's family. So, listeners, I encourage you to Google it and check it out. And, Joe, I know you're, again, close to the family, but to go behind the scenes, Vahe, how, how did you, like, find out about his family? And did you have to, like, coax Justin to talk about this or was – was he wanting to and getting this out of the open? I'm just kind of curious the background on this. Yeah, it's a it's a neat and interesting question. And and two things. One, um, I was uh, I had talked to him at one point early on just to get to know him and and sort of establish the the, the pen frontier and just mm-hmm. and, you know just start getting to know him. And, and that was before I knew he'd make the team. And then as I just kind of kept studying up on him, um, on I went to follow him on Twitter and. At that time, anyway, I don't know if it's still the case, but there was um, something about Tommy in a picture at the top of his Twitter page, and that that got me to start looking up more. and And uh, I think I'm not sure I have this right, but I think the timing on your podcast was probably about last August. Um, I'm not quite sure August of 22 or so. I'm not sure mm-hmm. when when you guys spoke with him, but I listened to that to prepare myself um, and read read what I could. But the uh, the interesting thing was I'd established a bit of a relationship with him and didn't really know whether this was something he'd want to talk about in mm-hmm. a quick casual setting. And one day I just passed him in the locker room and uh, I said, hey, I, you know, I you know, chatted for a second. I said, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about Tommy sometime. And he goes, well, now's good. And you know, we spent the next 15 minutes or so um, had kind of got kicked out of the locker room, but they, they gave me a couple extra minutes to stay in there. And um at that point, uh, you know, he gave me his parents' numbers and uh, called them, and that that was really obviously important to the story to be able to talk to a few different people. And so it it it's it's neat that it won that award and all. But the main reason it's neat is that I think it gets theoretically anyway gets the story out there a little bit more. And mm-hmm. I I think it's uh, not just a uh, moving story about the family and him, but I think it's actually something about attitude that you can get from how he, uh, how he p- applies the thoughts of Tommy in his life and, and his saying to himself, no bad days because of all that Tommy's going through and how he went through a little rut himself uh, at one point, feeling a little sorry for himself. And then, then just, just had a eureka moment about, mm-hmm. you know, how Tommy can influence everything he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have those, you know, those inspirations are a lot, our lives. And, 
you know, for you to bring that out, Vahe was fantastic, right? To get for the for the fans in Kansas City and then the NFL in general, just to get to know him a little bit better. We need more stories like that, right? We need to get to know these players and what drives them positively, right? And um, it's it's just it's such a great thing to, to for you to have opened that up to the to the fans and really get to know him and his family because that's that to me is the connection that Kansas City especially has with the players. They re- it really is a welcoming community that really wants to get to know you. And it's not all about the celebrity. And I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit about the Swifties <laughs> out there, but at the same time, it is, it is a city that really respects players, their privacy and them being people. And that was the one thing that I know Joe Montana used to talk about all the time, how much he appreciated when kids would knock at his door. It was so that his sons can come out and play you know, stick ball with them in the street. And it wasn't, you know, give it, get a Sharpie and get Joe Montana to sign a helmet. Like it just, he loved that about the city. And, you know, you're, you're speaking to something that, that hits me in a couple of different ways, Joe, that um, one thought I always have in this job and it, it's in a way almost more true now than ever, because there's so many different outlets, right. But a lot of them are aggregation. A lot of them don't have access, but they, sort of try to write with authority and I'm not saying that they don't have insight. I don't mean that, but I always think sort of uh, the, maybe the best thing I can do in my job, if I can is take people where they don't get to go and also introduce them to people they don't get to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that is a, a particularly pertinent thing. Maybe I'd say this if I lived in Philadelphia too, but I think it's a particularly pertinent thing in a city like Kansas city that has, you know, a, a sense of connectivity to the team that maybe is a little different in, in the bigger metro areas where there's 27 major things going on all the time. Mm-hmm. And here there's there's fewer. There's plenty, plenty yeah. of good cultural stuff here, plenty of oh, great of stuff. But but it's it's, uh, you know, if Taylor Swift had been at SoFi Stadium last week, I, you know, I don't know right. that it would be like right. this. Right. Or you know, maybe maybe uh, in Philly, it would have been a thing. Um the other thought, too, and, and this is I'd be really interested to know what you say about this, Joe, from your time here. I, I've come to think of Kansas City um, as I'll just distinguish it from St. Louis. St. Louis is about 25 percent bigger than Kansas City, the metro area. And St. Louis, that that size difference is a what to me makes St. Louis a small, big city. Mm-hmm. Kansas City is a big, small town. And. Mm-hmm that that's kind of the mindset in, in, in the way I see it. And it is, it speaks to the accessibility around town. It speaks to the way people treat each other. Um, and I think to some degree to get to the point here, it, uh, I think it, it also speaks to how they look at their teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I have the, I have the, you know, the brief time there in St. Louis, not, not my best, that's right. that's not right. the best of, t- not the best of times for me. Right. I mean, you know, after getting released, uh, by Kansas City. But, you know, those six years in Kansas City were, you know, Jen and I always say they were, you know, six of the best years of our lives. And, you know, it, and a lot of it came down to the community and it came down to the feeling that you got playing there. And just like you said, Bahe, it's 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 a big, small town. And to go to at least I don't know if they still have it, but, you know, Santa Caligon days, which was like the big craft and food fair you know, when Jen and I would go walk around that and just, you know, say hi to people. And it wasn't Joe, the chief, or, you know, it was just a, we were just in the community and, and it was, it was a chance to be a part of it without 
with just being a person, you know, and, and the player part came second, which was great. And I noticed that even in the brief time that I was in St. Louis, the connection, you know, with the fans and the fan base was, was definitely not there. First of all, we were, it was brutal. They, we were so bad. I could see why the fans didn't want to connect with that team. I mean, we were, it was really bad. It was, it just wasn't, it, it just wasn't good. So I know that helps, but even in the, even in the tough times in Kansas city, I, the, the players that played there uh, during those sort of, from a win perspective, the lean years, I know they all, all the alums and, and the chiefs ambassadors used to speak so highly of being there in that city, even when things weren't so great win-wise. They, and they all stayed. Look at them. Look at that ambassadors group through the 70s and 80s, through those very, sorry to use this term again, but those very lean years. They're, they're there. They're still there. They live there. They love the team. And they, 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 they respect the fans that, that, that did support them. And, you know, I, I just think it does, it speaks volumes about it. And, you know, and now living in Philly and, and having been there my whole life, I see the ups and downs. It goes with being in a really big sports town, right? Where you've got four major teams, including a bunch of colleges and even some minor league teams and things like that. You know, it's, it's not as personal. I'll just put it that way um, as it is uh, in, in Kansas city. And that's the best word I can use. It's a personal experience when you play in a town like Kansas city, one, because of the demographics and the, how big it is and the geography. But I think more of it is about the way the people uh, treat the players. Yeah. Well said, Joe. I, I, I really agree with that. Football is back and bet online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, guys, I want to discuss Juwan Taylor a little bit because you guys both kind of have some expertise and your 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 takes on this. Joe, given your offensive line expertise, I'm curious if you're seeing him still lining up offside or not. And Vahe, I was curious, you know, you know Andy Reid so well. You even covered him back uh, in his college coaching days. And it was odd that Andy Reid benched uh, Taylor again, but then that he said it was because he had, had an injury to the mouth. And there are these social media rumors that he did this to show that his replacement was actually lining up the same way and not getting flagged. So I'm curious what's the truth there. Joe, we'll start with you. And then Vahe, I'm, I'm curious, again, uh, your, your take on uh, what happened with Andy Reid pulling him recently. Well, I, you know, I, I've been talking a lot about this, Jeff, and, and everybody keeps, you know, keeps asking about it. And, and I'm, so I'll be brief because I really want to hear Vahe's um you know, take on this, but look, I, I don't think he's doing anything that's a whole lot different than other tackles are doing, right? Every tackle is looking to get that advantage uh, and push that rule to the limit to protect their quarterback. You know, it it's really hard to block the George Karloftis's of the worlds and the Frank Clarks and the Derek Thomases and, you know, pick your edge rusher. I mean, for goodness sakes, edge rusher is a position now. It wasn't even a position 10 years ago. You go, you, you know, you're watching the NFL draft and it's like, and in the first round, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals draft edge rusher, so-and-so. And it's like, what edge rusher? What is that? It's like a position. So you're telling what you're telling the NFL is that like, 
you've got to be on your game when you're playing tackle at this point. If you want to keep your quarterbacks healthy and it's frustrating that the NFL is sort of backtracking on this whole protect the quarterback thing, right? With all the rules they've put into place about targeting and the tuck rule and all these things to, to in the grasp to protect quarterbacks that, that they wouldn't allow tackles to try to get the advantage to protect a quarterback, right? It's just very bizarre. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of, kind of counterintuitive to, to, I think they're thinking. And so now, I know that's a weird tangent to go off on, but, but it's just like, you know, what are they trying to prove here? Like what, what are they trying to do with Juwan Taylor? Because I watch games and, you know, especially I'll freeze frame when it's on the, when they're on the 50 yard line and the sideline camera is perfectly perpendicular to the line of scrimmage, right. Or, or parallel perpendicular, whatever, whatever way you're looking at it. But when you get that clear view, there's a lot of tackles in the NFL that are lining up the exact same way. I don't know why they're trying to make an example of Juwan Taylor and the Chiefs. I don't get it. Now, here's here's what I think you know Andy's going to do. You know, Andy Heck and Andy Reid are going to get together, and I, I think personally that Andy is going to be the bigger man in this situation. I think Andy Reid is going to say, "Look, Juwan, cheat your stance up a little bit, get a little bit more in line with the quarter with the center's butt, right, with his with his rump, and get and get your head." you know, on his midsection and, and let's show them that we can line up there and still be successful. I, 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 and I know that's a risk because, you know, you're putting Patrick Mahomes at risk, but I think, I think that's what Patrick and Andy, that's what Andy and Andy are going to do this week. They're going to tell Juwan, you know, line up where you should line up. Just let's just end this thing. And I bet you it's like extinction, right? When, when, when a child does something bad, you don't pay any attention to it. It's just, it goes away. Right. And I believe that that's what the Chiefs are going to do. They're going to get this thing to be extincted and they're going to show the NFL that it can be done. Because guess what? Roger Goodell is not going to issue a memorandum or a statement about, well, we're really sorry that for the last two weeks we punished. He's just not going to do it. Right. They're going to be silent. They're going to just let it go. He's going to let the, let the officials do what they do. So anyway, sorry to go on a rampage about it. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm a card. I said this today on, on 810, right? I'm a card-carrying member of the Fools, a fraternal order of offensive linemen. So I'm going to stick up for my guy, and I don't think he's doing anything wrong. And I think he's, I think he's going to, I think they're going to, Andy's going to fix this, and it's going to go away because because they're going to open the NFL is going to allow a can of worms to stay open if if they don't close it. So I want to hear. I'm more interested in hearing what Vi says says about this. And Vi, I do have to ask you: Was it you that asked Andy the question in the presser? It sounded like you would, would did it, I was listening to a video clip and it sounded like you were the one that was asking him about, you know, how he felt about everything. Was that, was that you on, on the video clip that was on the internet? No, I, I don't think it oh. was um, because uh, I think Adam Tyser and Pete yeah, Sweeney. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Pete Sweeney got it started and then Adam Tyser and, okay. um, but, but, you know, so I've been around, Andy, Andy's addressed it now four or five times. And, and so there's, there's so many moving parts to this. Uh, I don't mean to be uh, uh, um, making any pun here. Right. But I mean, that, that is part of, the, part, of, part of the whole point of perception here is it's, there are multiple things being addressed about, about Juwan. Right. I mean, there's the, the matter of, you know, it, it is he, um, is he in synchronicity with the movement of the ball or not? Is he really a, a millisecond ahead? And actually I've, I've looked a number of times and those times, a number of times when it appears he's, he's, you know, moving before everybody else, it's, he's still moving with the ball. So 
you know, that that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's just, but all of this is a battle of perception. So now he, he's got all eyes on him ever since that Thursday night game. Right. Um, bear in mind, he, I think he had 59, something, some, somewhere in their career starts with like 17 penalties before this season. Now he's had, you know, two games with a total of seven and multiple sorts of penalties. And I do think Joe, you made this point. Um, one of the things they have to do, they have to get help, help Jawan by getting in his head. And I think, you know, he had back-to-back uh, either holdings or back-to-back holdings in Jacksonville. Um, and I think that reflected a guy who was flustered at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can address that better than I can, but, but I love your point about different ways. Andy Reed and Andy Heck will, will address this. And I do think they kind of have to demystify it. Um, for Juwan and for officials. But I also think if Andy's fighting a, a, a multi-pronged battle here too, very unusual for him to be as blunt as he was about right. the way he's being officiated. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we know Andy to be a, a man who chooses his words carefully. Um, we also know he's got great respect for the game, for officials. He's been on the uh, coaches subcommittee that helps create the rules. He's very cognizant of that. And let's face it, at this point, too, I think Andy might understand he has some stature as the fourth winningest coach in NFL history with a couple mm-hmm. Super Bowls under his belt. Um, I don't mean that he's swaggering because of that, but I do feel like he feels like I'm kind of the dean of, of this situation. I'm a responsible voice, and I think I need to make a point both to the NFL and to Juwan that, you know, Juwan, you need to do this better. We need to work on it, but also I've got your back. And I, I feel like he's trying to accomplish yeah. several things at once there. Vahe, so do you think, you know, there's so many rumors about when he was benched this last game against the Bears. What do you think of really what the mouth injury sounds weird? Do you think he was trying to give attention to it? Do you think he was then just benching Taylor to, so to get what's your take on that? I, you know, my headlights don't go far enough on that. I think, um, <laughs> I don't think Andy, Andy wouldn't make up the, the that about, you know, yeah. bleeding. Um, on the other hand, you know, maybe it's less necessary to keep a guy in the game when you're up 41 to three or whatever right. it was at that point. Um, and also maybe at least somewhere or another, he wanted just to, again, he used the term in Jacksonville when he took him out for a couple of plays, just step back. Maybe he wanted to, and again, no pun intended, right. But it, yeah. it, it is a little bit of all that at once. So. I don't want to claim to be inside Andy Reid's mind on this. I don't. I. I, I don't feel like I can get there, um, but I do think that, you know, what's that expression? Operators are standing by. I think at all moments they're they're thinking about this, and um, I. I love Joe's point. They can't just put it in the hands of the NFL. They've got to take what measures they can to make it a, a non-factor. Yeah, and I, and I think you know, listen. A lot of it has to do, you know, when you're when you're when you're out there, you know, and you're you're two players removed from the ball. Number one, you know, tackles are are at a disadvantage, right? Because you can't really see the ball at all, and and the defense is watching the ball, so they can they can get off on the ball, regardless of whether or not it's eight thousand decibels at Arrowhead, which we know it is when the crowd gets going, but you have to listen to the quarterback's voice. And don't forget, there's going to be a little bit of a delay between the quarterback's voice and when the center reacts. So, you know, officials have to sort of start looking at this, like the physics of all of this, right? The actual 
physical nature of how this is all taking place and how sound travels and how the eye sees things. And, you know, if, if tackles don't do everything they can to anticipate that snap, they're going to be behind because they can't even see the ball. At least the guards, even though the guard is listening to the quarterback snap count, the guards can at least, even if it's subconsciously, they may not be looking at the ball. They can at least see when it moves. And, they, and, 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 and you're in, and you're in, you've got bumpers, right? When you're playing guard and center, you've got these guardrails right on either side of you. When you're, when you're playing tackle, offensive tackle in the NFL, it's like you're out in a desert somewhere and you're trying to run as fast as Usain Bolt. Like it's, it's not easy. You know, when you've got a, a two, like, you know, most defensive ends tend to be a little bit smaller than the tackles, right? It's not like you're going against, you know, I know, I know Chris Jones is, is maybe the exception when he does go out there and play defensive end, but most of your really good edge rushers are going to be 20 to maybe 15 pounds lighter than, than your offensive tackle, right? They're, and they're, they're, we all know they're going to be faster. You know, they're timing, you know, clocking most of us tackles on a calendar, and they're actually using a stopwatch stopwatch for these rush ends, right? And so it's it's tough. So the NFL's got to do something about it too. They've got to think about how the physics of it all comes into play because it's it's not easy to be out there in space, especially when you got the added pressure of you know two new tackles protecting the most prized possession in the NFL. Let's let's, let's roll all that into all the psychology of this and how it's all happening. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't. I don't envy Juwan Taylor. I don't envy any tackle. I don't envy you know anybody who's got to protect. Uh, you know, not not the tackles don't care more about you know a, a a backup quarterback or somebody who's not as good as Patrick Mahomes. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say that. But but you know, it's it, there is that ex, ad, extra added pressure for sure. We're going to take uh, a brief pause here, and we're here with uh, Vahe Gregorian of the Kansas City Star award-winning columnist. We mentioned um, his Justin Watson story that you've got to check out. You know, we've got to talk about this. I, I like to keep things just kind of, you know, X's and O's and stuff. But the big story, obviously, in Kansas City, uh, you wrote about it a little bit uh, for the Tuesday, your Tuesday column, Vahe, about the Taylor Swift, Jason Kelsey connection, excuse me, Travis Kelsey connection. Easy mistake. That's, right? a, that's another Swift and Kelsey. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. DeAndre Swift, DeAndre and, Swift and Jason Kelsey, right. yeah. Hopefully, well Joe. Uh, but hey, for your call, did you try it all? Uh, were you, did you have to worry about like when did you find out about this? And did you have to like put any effort into kind of tracking them down? Did you do any of that to see if you could? Well, you, hold of you know, with somebody who's you know not going to be uh, insulated um, with who knows how much security and all this and that, right? How many layers it would take to get to her bunker there? Um, we would. Ordinarily, you would try. Like if there's if there's somebody in the stands that it, you know you think there's reason to talk to. Like this is a, a silly example. It's not really a good parallel. But I remember a couple of years ago in Oakland, uh, Marcus Peters had a I think he had a pick six and he he gave the ball to his mom in the stands. Mm -hmm. And I I just thought you know what I got to go over there, and you know was able to get to his mom in the stands and talk to her. This is a little different than that. You just kind of. We were joking as soon as, as soon as it became confirmed. We'd heard some rumors, but I just honestly, I kind of dismissed it. I was like, "Well, everybody's saying that, and mm -hmm. we'll we'll see some, you know, some more photoshopping, and it'll look like she's here." But then I think Adam Schefter had the had the first tweet about it, and then next thing you know, they're, they're flashing to it on TV, and our our photographer had a zoom lens and got a good good picture, a couple pictures in there. So at that point, 
you know, I think if the game had been a little different game, if it was, you know, a close game, a meaningful game, then maybe we would have been more just football oriented. But when it, when a game is a blowout like that, you're kind of hoping for something more overarching to get into anyway. And um, I, I will say I went down earlier than I'd normally go down with like six, seven minutes left on the really sort of dopey premise that maybe there's a chance she would come down into the chief's family room for the post-game reception um, or who knows what, I don't know what I thought I might see. And I, I didn't see it anyway. So, um, but I did think there was something to say about uh, the attachment people feel to the chiefs near and far and that, you know, kind of the cult of celebrity that's sort of starting to happen, right? It's one thing when it's Henry Winkler, um, you know, it's another thing when it's uh, somebody who's better known than Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, there aren't, there aren't too many of those people in, in this galaxy right now. And, and uh, so this sort of the collision of worlds, it felt a little surreal. Um, I, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of this. My colleague and friend, Sam McDowell was said, if he was going to write anything about her, he was going to write about me trying to learn more about her and trying to figure <laughs> out what the songs were. I joked with him that I thought the song shake it off had been sung by Cher. Um, but <laughs> I, I actually didn't know who sang the song. I didn't really know. Obviously I'm very, uh, I very much admire who she's become and the sort of shows she puts on, but I, I, I am not attached to her music. Um, but I guess you don't have to, to be attached to the music to appreciate, you know, generational talent. Yeah, definitely. And she's a pencil, you know, she's a Pennsylvania girl, right? So there's a lot of controversy right now here in the Philadelphia area. She is, she is actually, and has been shown to have been an Eagles fan and, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the Chiefs fans will let that slide since of because of Jason Kelsey and the fact that the Eagles and the Chiefs played in the Super Bowl. Maybe maybe they'll let her be a dual fan, a little bit like me. I a little bit be, like you. Know, you. Well, I it's funny. Be, I thought I about this, both. and I, I guess it didn't happen. But I thought um, there she is in the in the suite with Donna Donna Kelsey uh, a couple years ago. Donna Kelsey did the uh, the two games in one day from Tampa mm -hmm. to KC, and I for a moment wondered. Wouldn't that be odd if she went with, I don't know if Donna Kelsey went to Tampa last night or not, but if she went with Donna to, to Tampa to see the Eagles and, you know, demonstrate her Eagles yeah. Uh, yeah. side. I did. Now that would have been good for her fan base. That would have been good for her fan base. Vahe. Holy cow. Yeah. Cause she's taking, it, she's taking a little bit of a, a hit right now in the Philadelphia area. Her Swifties are, are, are kind of <laughs> on her a little bit about losing her Eagles, uh, her Eagles green for, for, for a little bit of red there the other night. Well, what's funny, I, I maybe you guys have already done this too, but I, I, I knew I just had heard that uh, you know she's between legs of the tour, and I guess she's about to go out to South America. Maybe is next, and I thought, gosh, I wonder if she would come here for the Eagles game, but she'll be, I think, in Brazil uh, that night. So um, I don't, I don't think she'll have to do the uh, the, the double jersey with with each, each side on or anything like Donna Kelsey. <laughs> Donna Kelsey jersey, that's awesome. Mahe, we'll get you out on this. Uh, you've been, I mean, even including in the uh, Tuesday's Kansas City Star, always addressing just where the Chiefs are um, is just the it franchise. I think it was part of that Taylor Swift column that this just kind of cements them as that it franchise. I so I think this is going to happen, even if it's not this year. I, I think they need that third ring to become officially a dynasty. That's how I kind of de define it. I'm curious if that's 
also um, how you define it. You think the Chiefs are a dynasty now, or you think they need that third title to really? You know, I think to to end any debate, you know, I think you you need that, right? And I think um, it's funny. It's amazing how relatively common back-to-back Super Bowls were until the last time it happened. Um, I don't know. I don't have this number. There's, there's a couple weeks where I would have told you the number off the top of my head, but I think the nine or 10 repeat champions. And obviously the last was the Patriots in 0304. And, you know, that that's kind of been simultaneous with some changes in the game and, uh, the, the way money works, et cetera, et cetera. So it's harder, it's harder to keep it together now. Right. So, um, I think it's the NFL does everything it can to create parity. Um, and so the fact that Chiefs have stayed at this level at the top for this period is pretty significant. But I do think there's a, a, an immense difference between winning two and three, an immense difference in winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. that just sort of says, you know, you leave no doubt. Um, some of these numbers are a little scattered to me, but I, I do know this. You know, only four coaches have won more than two Super Bowls. Only four quarterbacks have won more than two Super Bowls. So with the next Super Bowl, obviously it has have a little more clout pizzazz to it if it's this year. But with the next Super Bowl, now you're talking about, you know, stepping into the stratosphere in a way that's, you know, on top of everything in NFL history. I mean, there's still ways to go, obviously, to Brady or, you know, Terry Bradshaw, all these things, but Belichick. But that's pretty interesting. And. I got thinking about this the other day. Guys, I don't know what you think about this, but I was just kind of studying, you know, Andy Reid, including playoffs, has won, I think the average is 12.9 games a year since he came to Kansas City. Wow. Um, And it's like 14 a year since Patrick's been here. Now, just for argument's sake, if Andy Reid stays, let's just say they can win typically 11, 12 games a year and have a couple more Super Bowls. Andy Reid is going to have a chance to, to certainly catch George Hallis uh, at 324 wins might have a, a reasonable shot at Don Shula and who knows where Belichick ends up. Right. I mean, he's, he's, yeah. he's like 25 and 27 since Brady left. I don't know. I don't know what, yeah. where that's going, mm-hmm. but obviously you can't bring up this topic without thinking, okay, Andy's health. He's 64. He's, he's heavy. Um, you know, can he, can he stay healthy? But I, I do believe Andy waited all his life to coach Patrick Mahomes and that Andy will want to be with Patrick for as much of Patrick's career as Andy can be. Yeah, that's a great point, Bahe. Fantastic insight. Great insight. Well, Bahe, tell tell our listeners here. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a, a social media handle you want to plug, or if you want to just tell them the Kansas City Star website or anything you want to talk about before we uh, sign off here. Yeah, look, we we always appreciate people uh, following us on KansasCity.com. Uh, I'm still on the uh, site formerly known as Twitter X uh, <laughs> at V Gregorian. That's about where I put everything. I have a Facebook page. It's Vahe Gregorian sports columnist, uh, but that I, I keep that separate. So I don't inflict my work on my fr- Facebook friends, the, the regular page. So yeah, we, we uh, obviously love having people come along with us and follow the chiefs. And we, we sure pour a lot of resources into the chiefs. We still send four people on the road. Um, Every game, I don't. I, I suppose there's some other uh, outlets that do that, but I don't. Not many anymore. So you know, we're pretty all in at the Kansas City Star. Thank you so much, Vahe, for 
joining us. And if you enjoy the show presented by Bet Online, please subscribe. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and TuneIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Go Chiefs! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.